listen to episode six of the IntelliCast podcast. My name is Adam Jolly. Joining me as always is Brian Lamar. Hey, everybody. Brian, yeah. this is going to be episode two of our three-part series. Yes. About SampleCon. SampleCon. Yeah, this week uh, we've got Betty Adamu, who's going to be talking a lot about gamification and research. She yes. has a book out. Yeah. Uh, she might be the only published speaker that we have this week. Yeah. Um, pretty awesome interview. Love her. Um, she's one of my top five Britons. Oh, I thought we were going to leave that secret. Oh. Don't tell anybody she's British. Oh. Eh, it's okay. They'll get it. <laughs> They'll find out pretty quickly. As always, you can reach EMI via or IntelliCast via email at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Uh, Twitter is IntelliCast1. Uh, EMI is EMI underscore research. Brian, you're running that account next week. Yeah, I'm taking over the EMI research Twitter account next week. I love it. I'll be tweeting somewhere between two and five times a day. Pictures? There'll be pictures, um, content, teasers. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> That's what you'll get. You should put your own scavenger hunt on the Twitter thing. Keep the scavenger hunt alive. I'll have right? my own event. Yeah. My own personal Twitter is Adam Jolly. Brian, let's do a quick Mount Rushmore before we jump into this interview with Betty. Okay. Uh, let's do Mount Rushmore of SampleCon buzzwords. Oh, yeah. A lot of buzzwords. Going to beat a lot of things into the ground. <laughs> uh, I'll go first. Mobile. Easy. Mobile. Yeah, we always talk about mobile. Is yeah. it your mobile? Yeah. Hot topic. Number one for me. Transparency. Oh, it's, show me what you got. Yeah. Hey, we have to have more transparency. How are you doing what you're doing? Where are these people coming from? Right. We don't have enough transparency. Next one for me is blockchain. Oh, that's my number two. Also, yeah, I'm just, it's like a forecasting that that's, this year is going to be a lot of blockchain. Okay. You know, well, it was a little bit last year. Blockchain yeah. this year. Blockchain is my number two as well. Makes me wonder. Hold on. I just thought about this. Remember last year, SampleCon Ted, Ted Watts yeah. said he'd give somebody a million dollars if they came up with something that existed or something. What did he say? He he like came up. Oh, it might be like a five year plan. Uh, He told somebody if you do something and this happens, then I'll give you a thousand dollars or something. Bring that checkbook, Ted. I blame SampleCon 2018 of this blockchain because of Ted Was. I told Rachel Almont that myself. Not a bad thing though. No, it's a great thing. Thank you, Ted. Right, and I don't blame like a bad thing. This is great. Uh, Number three for me is quality. Quality is good. And followed up question: What is quality? (laughs) What are we talking about? We've solved quality. Yeah. What do you mean by quality? Is that who the person is or are they making good answers? And why is that my fault? That should be the research company. Stop it with the grids. <laughs> Stop it with the grids is great. Thank you. Um, mine is commoditization. Ooh, Everything's okay. a commodity. Why is a sample? Sample's not a commodity. We did Nobody this to ourselves. Right. I don't think any of this is going to happen, by the way. This is just like when I hear it like past, you know, or like right. this is like something people say like in the hallway of a conference and you're like, dude, what are you talking about? You know, nobody's talking like this. Right. Uh, my last one is programmatic. Oh. <laughs> and somebody's going to say, what does even programmatic mean? And I'm going to laugh loud when it happens. Yeah, that, that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, incentives is my last one. We're trying to increase incentives, and with blockchain, there's like, is it a fair incentive? How much are we paying? How much is how much of the CPI does a respondent actually get? We're going to be talking a lot about incentives. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, let's not do Everglades of SampleCon buzzwords. <laughs> uh, what are you most excited for for SampleCon? Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm excited because I feel like it's one kind of big family. Even though we're all competitors yeah. and partners and weird relationships. I have developed true friendships with a lot of people that go there that 
are competitors of ours and partners of ours. And I just, I'm excited to kind of see it. And SimpleCon is, I feel like it's a lot of less pressure. It's like very kind of casual. And um, this is a long-winded answer, but also I love the, we talk about more so than any other conference, we talk about tough issues and we try yeah. to get people to make make a point. And even like last year, we try to get people to argue with each other. Yeah. I love that because a lot of the challenges in our industry and in sample are not easy to talk about and we try to talk about them. That's a lot. No, for me, and I just realized this not too long ago. Um, so I was talking with Amy Carley. This is this is really Amy's first conference that she's gone to, I and mean, she's worked here for twelve years, and she's yeah. like every like the backbone of what we do as a company. But getting her out and go to a conference, and I was so excited to share the people that she's going to meet, and so oh, excited, yeah. like oh, I can't wait till you meet this person. Yeah. And so at first, I started thinking about you know obviously Seema, and like Lisa Welding Brown. I can't yeah. wait till she meets her. Uh, Dinah Bowen can't be, wait to. Uh, and then I started thinking like. Uh, like the founding board members of SampleCon, yeah. like for to Bonnie, right? And John from like for back in Lightspeed. Uh, yeah. Andy Ellis. Yeah. Right. I haven't seen Andy in a long time. Um, it's been a while. Um, I, mean, I don't know if she's met Patrick Comer. I, yeah, I think she probably met Patrick should come in, but like people like that, like I'm most excited for, and I'm most yeah. excited. Like this is my first year on the board. Yeah. Like I am looking forward so much to having like a personal conversation with Patrick Comer. That's yeah. going to sound like real fanboy and people are going to roll their eyes a little bit at that. Yeah. But like, I feel like I, this is okay. So I feel like right now me, I'm on this board. The stuff has happened here at EMI and like that I can be at the same table with somebody like Comer who has made our industry yeah. and like has like transcended what our industry does yeah. and it is like trailblazed past for us and disrupted things. Like I am like, this kind of feels like, you know, people like congratulate you when you get onto certain things like that feels like the reward. Yeah, that, uh, that that sounds super cheesy, right? I get and it. Like, I, I don't know if I would ever want him to like hear that, but yeah. like, it, it I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm sitting at the same table with somebody like Comer, and like I can, I can talk to somebody like Seema about yeah. things, and even like you know talking with like Jake and Nancy and like and yeah. and Mindy and like these these great minds, right? Yeah, and, and Rob and like all these people that think so much and like so much stuff that they're thinking about Corey, um, and it's just like to be at the same table with those people. That's when like you get it like not yeah. like some promotion or some board thing. That's when you feel like you, you've right. done something. Right? You're part of a kind of a special club of industry thought leaders right. and decision. And you get to know them on a personal level, yeah. like professionally and personally, that's awesome hill to be getting up on. Right. That's yeah. awesome. Feels great. Uh, well, let's jump into our interview with Betty. Uh, Betty is British heads up. <laughs> Uh, but it's a fascinating interview and I'm super excited for her to talk because she's doing something so much different with this gamification and really trying to get deeper insights from taking the idea that you're doing research out of people's minds, right? And making it more like an organic type of process. And she's going to talk more about that. So without any further ado, Betty Adamu. Joining us now is Betty Adamu. Hey, Betty, how are you? Hi, Adam. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. Um, I think I've followed you from like the Twitter and LinkedIn from afar, but uh, excited <laughs> to hear more. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much. And thank you for having me on your show. Yeah. So one of the first questions we always ask because the answers across every guest is so varied is uh, how did you start in market research? Oh, yeah. I can imagine that the general theme when you ask most people is that they kind of fell into it, right? Oh, if there's sure. a certain yeah. generation. Not on purpose. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I got into the market research industry, um, like many of my peers, purely by accident. Um, so I finished university and I was working 
um I, actually I, I I was doing a fair few things at the same time so on a Saturday I was working in a tailor's um just kind of evolving my craft there after I studied um uh women's wear and men's wear at university and then during the week I was making clothes from home and selling that and, and making artwork and selling that but then also working at a call center and as a receptionist at hairdressers so I was kind of doing everything and then um, a friend of mine who is um, same age as me and we're still friends now she said you know you're, you're kind of juggling a lot of plates there like you know why don't you just kind of find a full-time job like local to you like I work at this market research firm um, I, I won't reveal the name but she was saying you know I, I work here and it's great and it's good fun and it's so interesting so I went for an interview and and there found uh, myself employed in my first market research role and and just kind of it went from there and yeah I just had a great time learning about market research and realizing how actually massive the industry is and right. you know like a lot of people right you have that perception of the market research industry as just um, a few people that go around with clipboards um, but then I right. started this job and and just was fascinated so quickly I think partly because I'm quite an analytical person I and, and I like to problem solve and, and learn and quite curious so it just seemed like a very harmonious fit um, and that yeah that's how I kind of got into it yeah I, I think curiosity is something that a lot of people say or a lot of people feel and maybe they find another word for it but that tends to be kind of a theme like a curious people are drawn to market research so, so tell me like a little bit of like your evolution of jobs. Like, so you start off, this is like you leave a tailoring company and then, and then what happens next? Like what gets you to where you are now? Oh, right. Okay. So, um, I went from that first role in, in, uh, working a market research agency and then, um, you know, kind of wanted to experience a slightly different side of things. So I went to ch- what, what, that well, doesn't exist anymore. It was Chow Surveys, and worked there as an uh, as an account manager, um, taking care of our, of other market research companies for their sampling needs. Um, and so, yeah, worked there for a couple of years, and then Chow Surveys was bought by Microsoft, and then the sample side was sold off to Toluna. So I found myself working in Toluna for a couple of weeks actually, um, but because it was all the way on the other side of London from where I was from, it was just a hellish commute. Um, so I I um, was looking for a different role, and um, at that point, actually, I was headhunted by um, Nebu, who provide um, survey software. They're a fantastic company. Um, still good friends with the the men and women that work there to this day. And it was there that I found myself just, you know, really in my element. Um, you know, again, you know, there was a lot of, lot in my role, which was taking care of clients, but also had a lot of autonomy um, in working directly with the manager. And in some cases, even one of the founders um, creating new initiatives, um, starting some really exciting marketing stuff there. Um, but, you know, what led me to where I am now was actually something in that role where I was tasked to work with um, one of the developers to create some more kind of engaging, like interactive question types. So really just like how to make this typical question about what country you're from, whatever it might be, like more engaging, right? Um and this developer I was working with called Marco, who's still there to this day, fantastic developer, full of ideas. He he was and is a massive gamer, and so was I. And so we just started talking about, well, 
you know, what if we made them more game-like? And then, you know, the idea started to expand. Like, what if the whole thing was a game? Like, what if the whole piece of research really felt like a game and you were intrinsically engaged and, like, really involved? Um, and, and at that same time, quite serendipitously, the Casro Las Vegas conference put out its call for papers and um, the founder of Nebu at the time was like, you know, you should submit something. And I'd never spoken at a conference before. Um, and quite naively, I didn't really realise you should talk about a thing that your company is doing. <laughs> so I I wrote a paper about what if research was like a game and it was called The Future of Research Through Gaming and um, kind of went from there. So the paper was selected um, to present at Casa Las Vegas and the, the video of it is still on YouTube and you can hear my voice shaking Um I think I was maybe like 22 at the time. Not that it has anything to do with it, but I was just like incredibly nervous. Sure. Um, and and yeah, like um, the 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 how that talk went down is ultimately what what really made me want to start my own business because the talk got a standing ovation. Uh, I was very taken aback by that. I had a queue of people waiting to talk to me after about the pricing model of these things I call research games and. And can they see a demo and how it work? And at that point, I was like, oh, crap, because like, <laughs> I had nothing to show. It was really just ideas. But, um, you know, with, with with the blessing of the Nebu team, I, I left there to start research through gaming and, and yeah, haven't looked back since. So so that's my wow. story. I, I didn't know a Casro conference. Could That could be, I mean, you know, Casro doesn't exist anymore. But, like, no, it was no, kind of the no. old dudes of marketing, you know, like they were all about like processes, ISO certification, all that. And so like, right. that's a tough crap. Yeah. But it's Vegas too, um, so who knows? Well, look, you know, uh, I don't know if the, 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 the place has anything to do with the, 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 the way that they were thinking, but, um, you know, okay, you know, obviously there was a lot of unanswered questions, even for me, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I'm presenting all of these new ideas and, and, and I, ha and I, I'd done a minuscule amount of research on research. So I actually partnered with SSI to put a survey to the UK public about their perceptions of playing a game that would also be research and trying to kind of explain that to, to the UK public in a, in a traditional survey of what that would be like. So it was, it was a bit odd, but actually the results were quite favorable. So at least I had that to share. And I was also borrowing on a lot of research from, from the, the fun theory that was flying around at the time. But the weird thing was, is that at that point, I didn't really know a lot about gamification. I was talking about this as fully fledged games for research and it was only until after that that the word gamification was really creeping up in the, in in the global lexicon and um and and in, and in the market research industry but yeah like you're right you know there's a lot of i guess you could you know cynical people in the audience or just you know researchers who like numbers and evidence but i think because i'd made it really clear that at that that point it was just an idea they were much more i guess open to listening to something that was very conceptual okay. so talk to me a little bit about that evolution right so you, you talk about this as like an idea and i guess you know on paper you think gamification get better engagement better things from you know connections to respondents but but obviously you know mm -hmm. design and technology has changed you have new things like ai coming stepping up that can make this more of a reality or more maybe more efficient to implement so talk to me a little about like that evolution of the design and the technology 
Yeah, um, I'd love to. Um, so yeah, when I so after I I did that talk and like I said, you know, people want evidence and 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 you know the, there were some people who were very embracing of it, some people who were naturally cynical and asking the tough questions, which is always good. So when I started research for gaming, um, I I very quickly started to build a collection of primary and secondary research. I was using kind of um, like card games in focus groups with children to help shape some of my thinking and to see what kind of things work and didn't work in a focus group setting. I also did some research on research with Brain Juicer. Um, of the results, I didn't publish, but again, I think it was just more to kind of understand gaming techniques in a qualitative setting a bit more. Um, I'd also got my I also got my first client. Um, seven months after I started. So, so, you know, there was a commercial case study that um, was on the cards, which was great. Um, but I, I've always been a designer in not just of what I studied in terms of clothes, but I'd, I'd learned how to do graphic design. I was self-taught at a fairly young age. So I was able to quite easily articulate things that were in my head in terms of like a level design or how the aesthetic should be to really kind of engage you know, whatever the target audience was, I was able to execute that um, instantly and, you know, with a lot of confidence because I had those graphic design skills. So, um, and, and even to this day, like like 90% of the research games that I, I build for my clients are, are, are things I've made myself. And, and that's great to be able to combine what you know and understand as a researcher with the design output. Because ultimately I think it makes you, better at engaging people like you know from research that you've read or research that you've conducted what kind of things inspire people motivate people engage people make people want to finish a survey right to the end or finish interacting with anything digital right to the end and if you can empathize with that and put that empathy into design and better user experience and I think the marriage of those skills is is such a sure, winner yeah. um so, so yeah, and, and, you know, you mentioned AI earlier. I mean, when I first started to design my research games, um, you know, most of the time they were very point and click, just kind of like flat 2D images of a 3D environment, but, you know, enough to make people feel that they were immersed in a place, right? right? Um, you know, and other things like music and sound effects really help with that sense of immersion and, and that you're, you know, the context of an environment. But the kind of games I play now for entertainment and the kind of artificial intelligence that exists to make you feel that you're talking to a real person, like these characters in a game, um, the the implications that has for market research games is huge because it really will allow us to have qualitative research um, executed on a quantitative scale so those kind of conversations that you get in focus groups, if you, you know, now we have the technology to have that online um, and to have rich emotional conversations with real people in a game-like environment or with with fake characters that feel real in a game-like environment. And and that kind of thing is just really incredible for, for market research uh, insight. It, and then you wrote a book, correct? And and then I wrote a book, yeah. Um, and it's called Games and Gamification in Market Research. So it's a bit of a mouthful, but yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. So, Betty, this is Brian Lamar. I have a question. Well, first of all, um, 
I'm excited to talk to you because I've always been a big fan and I share a passion. And I think that most of our listeners also share a passion around improving the respondent experience. Um, so I'm excited to hear you speak. Mm-hmm. And that's my question is you're flying to Austin soon and you're speaking. What can we expect from that? Um, yeah, the, the, the talk is, um, on the 12th. Um, and I believe it's the closing talk of the, of the entire conference. Um, I've been told by the organizers that actually it's going to be the first talk on game-based research. So I'm really very flattered to, to be the one delivering that. Um, but basically the talk is partly, um, sharing of, of what's going on in game-based research, how to design, a game-based piece of research, whether you're using gamification or realizing your research as a fully-fledged game, Um, taking um, taking the audience through um, my case studies with clients at Researcher Gaming, um, and also drawing on um, serious games of gamification from around the world to kind of bring some of those ideas um, and concepts to life. So so it's partly doing that and, and, you know, sharing a lot of what's in my book, but it's also partly kickstarting a year-long game. So my goal is that this conference talk is going to be like level one in a three-level game where all the delegates coming will, you know, obviously hear the presentation, hear a lot of the how-tos, and then spend the next year experimenting with games of gamification in their own research sharing the results in the dedicated LinkedIn group so that in SampleCon 2020, um, we can have a year's worth of, you know, people from around the globe in research experimenting with this methodology so that at SampleCon 2020, we can talk about some of the results that have been shared, um, the, you know, the, so maybe some of the surprise outcomes that have come out of, the, of research on research that other people have done, some of the drawbacks and challenges or maybe some kind of like more effective way of doing things that somebody else has thought about or how it can be used for different types of research or in conjunction with other things like neuroscience or behavioral economics or whatever it might be. Um, Because as yet, we haven't had that in the industry. So there's been a handful of people really pushing the envelope for um, games and gamification in research. But what this talk is aiming to do is kickstart huge amounts of experimentation on a mass scale like you know making sure every delegate feels like they are a player in this year-long game sharing their research and coming back the year after to to have a look at what the results are awesome and i think this will be very well received i hope that you challenge people and i i'd like to go ahead and commit i design all (laughs) of our internal research and research so i would love to partner with on this so i'll sign up for that i can commit to it (laughs) excellent Well, Betty, we're going to shift now into a little bit less work talk. Uh, So one of the things we do, we kind of came up with like the marketing four P's and like different words to start with P to just know a little bit more personally about somebody. Um, So we're going to start out with playlist. And so Betty, what were the last three songs that you listened to? All right. Okay. So I think most people you ask this to have the old, like I'm gonna tell them the last three <laughs> songs I didn't really listen to, yeah. but sound cool. But I'm, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna be brutally honest. Okay, so I think just remembering what I put on my iPhone the other day. So I listened to 
a few songs on Lady Gaga's first album, Fame. Um, I love a bit Lady Gaga. She's a very inspirational artist. Um, you know, I especially love her earlier, like, crazy, quirky work. Um, and um, I listened to a couple of 80s tracks. So I don't know if you um, know the song... Oh, Alone yeah. by heart. Yes. I'm not gonna sing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I listened to that, and um, oh god, what is? Oh, oh, and um, uh, a couple of songs off the Footloose soundtrack. Yeah. Now you're being brutally honest. Footloose. I mean, no one's mentioned the Footloose. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got nothing to hide. I love. I love. I love. I love the. I love 80s music, and um. You know, I, I've got a load of it on my iPhone that I just kind of listen to on repeat. So, yeah, so that that's my, those are my guilty I'm pleasures. I'm surprised you didn't list the greatest song in the 80s, which is obviously 1999 by Prince. Are you a Prince fan? I'm going to be really controversial and say n- no. I mean, I'm a fan of him and what he did for music and, and, and t- massively respect his, him as an artist, you know, his productivity, the amount of music he was able to put out there, the songs he wrote for other artists. But I have to say, like, I don't normally, like, I wouldn't just normally, like, listen to his music. Although, funnily enough, I was singing Purple Rain, and my husband was like, are you singing Prince? You don't usually sing Prince. So I was singing a bit of Purple Rain the other day. That, that um, might be no, the best I'm answer. We a, have kind of a fan. running joke, kind of an ongoing segment about Prince, and that was awesome answer. Because most people lie about it. People yeah. think like, oh, oh they must love Prince. I need to talk about well, Prince. Well, look, you know, you're... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, you're asking me and I'm being brutally lost. I have to ask you both. What was what, what music do you... Well, what was the last few tracks you listened to? Uh, yeah, it's a lot. Oh, you see, I'll turn I... it around on you. You didn't expect that. So yesterday I was in an airplane a lot and I would try not to think because I had been... <laughs> thinking a lot like I was in like a workshop for the last two days and so I traditionally go with hip-hop if I don't want to think right. like think about something you cannot relate to and so I I can't think about you know <laughs> making a lot of money being with a lot of women um having a like things like that I was like yeah this isn't my what? life so let's let's get lost in a base hook you know so uh for sure okay so totally yeah, definitely. so uh that's what it J. Cole, is. Um, a lot of Jay Z, always a lot of Jay Z. Yeah. So, okay, right. I I think I'm a lot more um old school than you with my hip hop. I'm very much like Biggie, <laughs> Puff Daddy when his name was Puff Daddy, oh, wow. DMX. Um, um, and actually, yeah, there's some bits that are not so old school, so I'll still listen to like Eminem's oh gosh, first album every now and then. I just put on Wu Tang 36 Chambers the other day as I was driving home, just trying to like turn off. Yeah, it was great. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. And and what about you, well, Brian? What was the last we're coming on Fridays? And every Friday, Adam puts on Drake. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. I don't know if Drake has a new album every Friday, okay, but that's right. what we do. <laughs> I came in this morning about eight minutes before Adam, right. and I listened to Private Eyes by Hollow Notes, which I try to listen to almost every day. And then I'm really in a Dire Straits kick lately. Ugh. I love <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, I think ah. is one of the greatest songs. So I listened to that this morning as well. Speaking of Romeo and Juliet, 
the soundtrack to that yes. film, the Baz Luhrmann film, is really? fantastic. I haven't listened to it on that too. Um, I love, yeah, I. Oh my god, what is his name? I'm gonna Google it now. So Romeo. This might be a podcast first. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm. You might want to like. All oh, right, okay. So there's there's um a young there's a young guy in the film who sings Prince. So I'm I'm circling this back to something relevant from earlier. He sings when doves cry in this kind of yeah. you know like he's he's approaching it like a gospel choir song and it's just beautiful and it's had like a gazillion oh, hits on youtube so so give that a listen if you, if you like prince <laughs> I love and it. that's great mention romeo and juliet so next next one is uh perform but, um, so what is something that most people don't know about you betty or, or what is kind of a hidden talent that you have um well, if you if well, if somebody knows me very well, then it's not very hidden. But um, you know, I I am a very creative person. I I like to think of myself in. I hope this doesn't sound pretentious as like uh, a kind of multimedia artist. So I will do things like make furniture. I spray paint artwork. I draw with lots of different kinds of uh, from charcoal to pen and pencil and paint in watercolors or, or acrylics and things like that. And and um, yeah, I'm just like a, a, a super creative person. So when I talk a lot about design, sometimes if I'm doing a workshop or a university guest lecture, um, there might be a little bit of, oh, like that, that doesn't fit with my perception of a researcher. But I think it's always because I've been a designer first. Um, and, and, you know, the big the biggest thing is that um, I, make, I used to make clothes and I, I even sold clothes in a shop in West London. Um, when I finished university, because I, I was studying fashion design and um, pattern cutting, which is like like tailoring for women's wear and, and men's wear. Um, and, and only the other day, I made really? a little set of dungarees Jeez. for my dog. For the vortex that just came through here in the Sorry? States. Uh, yeah. The whole country is complaining how cold they are right yes. now. And we've made some term called the polar vortex, and uh, it's yeah. sad. I, I can make you a cool windbreaker jacket, but I don't think that that's going to warm you up very much in, in, the, in the freeze that you're experiencing at the moment. Um, but, yeah, so I guess you could say that that's a, a kind of hidden talent. And I, I don't often – I mean, there's things I'll post on my personal Instagram about things I'm inspired by or um, things that I make that I wouldn't necessarily put on my Twitter because my Twitter's like – Betty at Researcher Gaming, and, and and I don't know if it kind of fits, but I think I should maybe yeah. share my design stuff account. more for my like <laughs> re- <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So well, yeah. yeah thank you. Well, thank well thanks, you Betty, so much for joining us. Questions. And uh, we mentioned that you will be at SampleCon speaking um, about gamification. I think it's going to be awesome, especially compared to all the other topics. You know, I think so many times at conferences we kind of get stuck on something and it'll be kind of a breath of fresh air to make people think differently that for the compared right. to the rest of the three days. I hope so too. And for anybody listening, um, you know, and, and, and who's interested in coming to the talk, um, you know, it, it, it is going to be super relevant to the sample and panel industry. There's going to be some ideas shared there about how it can apply, not just to the direct survey taking process but what goes on around that in the recruitment in the retention of active 
panelists like that kind of thing so yeah do do come along awesome. and well, thanks so much Betty, for joining in. us and uh we'll see you next week okay thanks buddy thank you both take care what an awesome interview yeah what was your favorite part uh i love the um hidden talent this is my favorite part of every interview yeah what great hidden talent i always love to hear the origin stories or just how i got into it right? yeah yeah and then when people like uh like every time we like, what, what advice would you give? It's always curiosity. And I think that's big in our industry, right? Yeah. To have more curiosity. I think so. There's someone should give a Ted talk on curiosity. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of Intellicast. As always, you can reach us at Intellicast one on Twitter, EMI underscore research on Twitter, my own personal Twitter, Adam Jolly and email Intellicast at EMI dash RS. You'll be able to see Brian, Mary, myself, and Amy Carley at SampleCon this week. Please come and say hi. Mention the podcast, and we'll buy you a piece of sausage. How's that? <laughs> or something. We'll buy you something Texas-related. Yes. Cool? Awesome. See you guys in Austin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.